This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and what are you wearing? I'm only asking because Calvin Klein was born on this day in 1942, the same year noted denim collector Len Penzo retired. While talk of Len's retirement has been greatly exaggerated, we'll discuss some of the biggest personal finance myths that need to be busted with the woman behind Afford Anything, Paula Pant. And from LenPenzo.com, Calvin Klein's favorite model, Kate Moss. No, I'm just kidding. Kate's busy binging kale smoothies and doing a chia seed cleanse or something. It's just Len Penzo. And finally, Mr. Acid Wash himself, OG. Of course, that's not all, because we're coming down the home stretch of our year-long trivia. Did he just go away? Joe sounded like Chris Cross. Sounded like he had a stroke. It did sound like like he got partway through the, the intro and said, I'm taking a nap. Hey, everybody. Really? Welcome to Live on Fireside. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. Yeah, Doug, you completely went away there at the end, but I think we got it. I think we're what? good. How are you? I'm, other than the brain aneurysm, I'm great. <laughs> I don't know, don't know what happened. After what? maybe Mace's retribution for making so much fun of Len. And since we mentioned him, the guy who hasn't retired and keeps threatening to retire, Mr. Len Penzo's here. How are you, man? I'm doing great. You know, I uh, I just got back uh, the other day. I went to dinner at m- one of my favorite places, Benihana. It is and so I'm in a really good mood. Uh, even though the prices went up a little bit. But you have like a Benihana uh, hangover, like a happiness hangover. How long does that last for uh, you? A good, uh, good 48 hours. I mean, especially if the chef makes that, that chicken fried rice. He's, you know, that's where they really shine. I thought you were going to say if he does the choo-choo train with the onions, like that's when you really get going. <laughs> 
I, you know, when we were sitting there and it's funny is we all pretend that we've never seen those jokes before. Right. And the, and the poor chefs, they have to pretend like they're doing it for the first time. It's kind of funny when you think about Did it. Did he put the shrimp tails in his, uh, in his pocket? Uh, no, he shot the shrimp tails into the top of his, top of his, his hat. hat. But, oh, but, yeah. but he also, he also took the lobster tails and got those into the top of his hat, which was pretty good. Well, you can see what kind of budget the Penzos have. We never have lobster tails. <laughs> I don't even know. Yeah, and you know what's funny? You know, they had, like I said, the prices went up, like the prices are going up for everything. But so, you know, I'm not, I still love you, Benihana. Mm. But you know how they have the names for the different meals? Like, you know, yes. you don't just say, I want the, the steak and shrimp. It's got to be Rocky's the- Choice. Yeah, they have stuff like it's the land and sea or the yes. deluxe treat That's or right. the hibachi supreme. So, by the way, Benny Hanna, if you want to sponsor the show, since we're spending 10 minutes talking about you, feel free. Email me, Joe at Stacky Benjamins. Well, maybe not after I, after I make this little oh. joke here, because I was going to say what they really need to be calling one of these is the King's Ransom. At least the one <laughs> I got was because it cost. I, I don't know, man. Look at even the price of meat at the grocery store. It is <laughs> ugly no matter where you're at. And speaking of the guy who's the lobster tail on this podcast, not sure if that's a good one or not. Mr. OG is here. No, I eat lobster tail and shrimp tail all the time. I don't eat the shrimp tails, but no, gross. But, but, but you love Betty Hanna, like the Len? No, no, no. no I'm not a fan of like watching my food be prepared. No, oh, I think that's oh, so wow. fun. Paula, have you ever been to Benny? Paula doesn't even know what Benny Hanna is. This is Paula Pant from Afford Anything <laughs> right here. Um, I believe that I went to a Benny Hanna once, once or twice when I was in college. I, I was going to say for her 11th birthday. Yeah. So, uh, so it's been a pro- what a good 15 years since I've been to a Benihana. I don't know, man. When you're coming through Texarkana, we'd love to take you to Benihana, but we don't have one. It's, you don't have one in Texarkana? This is a very exclusive town, Paula. Shock. No, they, they have they have something called Benny Yeehaw. <laughs> I thought Benihana was like, for the amount you talk about it, I figured it must be the, the restaurant in Texarkana. It doesn't hold up to the sizzler uh, here. Oh, and by the way, really Len, that's through. Benny's Yeehaw. Benny is the guy's name. It's Benny's Yeehaw. Okay. And yes. what's better? Is it Sizzler or Golden Corral? It's Well, uh, we would say Sizzler on this show. But uh, Golden Corral fights them all day here in Texarkana. <laughs> like two San Diego news stations, we fight each other. Everybody's wondering when we're going to get to the point. We're going to talk today about five savings uh, myths that need to be busted. Personal finance myths. Let's get into it. But first, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. 
that can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. All right, now we're ready to get into it. Let's roll. This piece comes to us from uh, Forbes advisor that we're going to riff off of today, written by George Mitra and Arman Joshi. Uh, It's actually written for Forbes advisor in India and for an Indian audience. But you know what? I think savings myths, no matter where you are. And this is what I love about this show. I I got an email uh, just last week from Scotland and a gentleman says, you know what? You sometimes talk about U.S. law, but all this stuff translates no matter where you are in the world. And I know we have a few listeners in India as well. We're in 47 different countries, which is it's so weird whenever I whenever I see those numbers. But we're not here to talk about the numbers. We're here to talk about these myths. We're going to start off by talking about the five they have here, and then maybe our our team here will have, in the second half of the show, will have some myths of their own. But the first myth on this piece is myth, savings equals money to be kept in a savings account. And uh, Paula, let's start with you. Do you think this is a big problem with people just starting out saving, that they don't know the difference between saving and investing, or they think there's a difference between the two? Yes, absolutely. So I think that because so many people are familiar with the the terminology of a checking account and a savings account, people often, especially if they're at the beginning of their personal finance journey, they haven't necessarily spent a lot of time thinking through the nuances of what does it mean to save, you know, the way that we all have nerded out about it. Um, It can be very easy to think that savings is the money that goes into a savings account. I mean, based on the name, that seems on the surface obvious, even though it's erroneous. Uh, OG, I know that uh, when you meet with young people, you have to see this as kind of a hurdle you got to get through with people. Well, we use the word savings and investing kind of simultaneously when we're talking about either of those things. So um, so it's important to be specific about it, right? Savings is for things that are short-term, time-bound, you know, in the next three, under three years, maybe, maybe under five years and investing is for everything else. And, um, and sometimes we say savings when we mean investing. Sometimes we say investing when we mean saving. So using the right language, I think is super important. Well, and that's interesting for you. And I think for Paula, based on what you said for either one of you two, just, just thinking about this, we do use the words, I use the words interchangeably, but I've been saving and investing for a long time. Part of me thinks that that's a good thing to use them interchangeably because I don't know, when I first started, I thought that investing was this big speed bump, right? That I was going to have to learn tons and tons and tons. And what what, of course, we know is that you really kind of got to wade in a little bit. So is it good that we use those terms interchangeably or should we, as people that know what we're doing, should we be careful about that? No, I think we have to be very careful about it because people hear the word savings and we might mean investing. You know, you need to save $500 a month to fund your retirement. You need to save $500 a month into your Roth IRA. But what we mean is invest and uh, has different kind of connotations to it. So, Paula, you agree? I do agree. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, I've anecdotally, I've received emails from my audience, um, people who've said things like, you know, gee, I I would have loved to have saved this year, but I paid off all of my debt instead, you know, or gee, I would have loved to have saved this year, but I really wanted to 
max out my Roth IRA. And and I, you know, I have to write them back and be like, if if you did those things, you did save. And then sort of start to introduce this concept that all savings is deferred spending. It's just a matter of how long are you deferring it? Are you deferring it for 30 years and then you're going to use it in retirement, in which case you're going to invest it in the interim? Are you deferring it for eight years and then you're going to use it as a down payment on a home? How long are you deferring this spending. That's the deciding line between what you're going to literally keep in cash versus what you're going to put into more volatile assets. And I don't think that comes across when words get used interchangeably. Len, we're going to talk a little bit later about risk, but what is wrong with saving? You know, people consider uh, uh, saving money. What's wrong with just saving and not investing? Like, why wouldn't I put all my money in fixed accounts that earn a set rate of return? That sounds safe. Well, yeah. Um, the problem is it, you're not putting, if you're putting your money into, into savings, just short term, like a passive, uh, you know, savings accounts at your bank or what have you, you know, that's not putting your money to work. Your money's sitting on a lounge chair. It's just kicking back, doing nothing. If you want to make that money work for you and grow, you have to, you have to take a risk and you have to invest. And that's the big difference, right? Between savings and investing. Savings basically uh, you, you have a time component and a risk component. Saving, if you're just saving, there's you really don't have much of a risk component. But uh, also what that comes down to is no risk component. You're not going to make that money work for you. And in a high inflationary environment, your real returns from your savings account, you're actually losing money slowly over time. So, so you just have to keep that in mind. If you want your money to work for you and to grow, you have to invest. And doing that takes risk. You could be very safely losing money. You can be safely, you can over time, right? Over, yeah. now, it's not a big deal over a short period of time. I mean, I have money in savings accounts right now, and I know I'm losing money to inflation right now. My real return is in that savings account. Is It's over time, it's slowly losing money, but not enough for me to, to worry about. You know, the convenience of having that savings for emergencies or for um, saving for something that I want really near term, like a vacation in the next year or something. Or lottery okay. tickets. Uh, lottery scratchers. Right. Scratchers for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, that, that you don't worry about that. You don't worry about that. But if you're going to think you're going to get rich putting your money, you know, and get ready for retirement by just keeping it in a savings account, you are sadly mistaken. Uh, number two here is a retirement plan before th- 40 is too early. And I think we have two different audiences on the show. And I'm going to go with the general audience uh, across the world, which is I don't need to start saving into a plan like a 401k or a retirement plan before I'm 40 years old because I've got so many other priorities. Somebody says that to you, OG. What do you say back to them? The problem with waiting is it gets exponentially more expensive. You know, there, there's a lot of stuff that seems very important in the moment that you're doing it and, um, and probably is. I mean, I'm 44 next month and uh, I wish that I would have done a better job of investing when I was in my early 20s and, uh, and I didn't. And because I had other stuff that was going on in my life and it, that other stuff was super important at the time. And I always thought like, well, I'll just eventually, you know, next year I'll make more money and then I can, you know, invest it then. And, uh, and it finally got to the point where you just, where I got to the point where I just said, okay, I can't, I can't keep on having the focus be on tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like we have to just do something now, even if it's just the, the littlest amount. And it's, it is like a, like any other habit, it's like a gym habit or an eating healthy habit or something like that. If you start doing it, it becomes addicting. 
you know, like, oh, I got, I got to put money in my account today and that was fun and it felt pretty good to pay off my debt or to do this other thing. So I want to do it again. I want to continue to build that muscle and continue going to that gym, so to speak. But, um, but I think it's really t- tempting to say, well, as soon as I knock out all these, these you know, short-term things, then I'll get to the long-term stuff. The good news is that if you do wait until you're 40, you still have plenty of time. I think a lot of people think that that's the other side of it, right? Like, oh, well, I'll just, you know, I'm 50. I could never make it. It's like, no, 20 years is a long time to invest and to use compounding. Now, is it better to have started when you were 19? Yeah, absolutely. But, um, uh, but if you are past, <laughs> if you're past that, now you're 40 or 45 or 50 or 55, you, you, you don't have to just throw in the towel and say, well, I'll never make it because you can still make a pretty big impact by being disciplined now. It can be a little more difficult, but it's doable. We, we spoke with, uh, with uh, some people from Camp Fi who started at 50 and were able to retire at 60, which was amazing. Now, given they had, uh, 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 Stephen had secured a really good job, but he knew that he had his work cut out for him and was able to shovel. So even though he had the ability to shovel, he used that shovel, shovel pretty well. Wow. He started at zero at fifth, age 50? Age 50 and retired Holy at 60. smokes. Yeah. It was it was fantastic, Len. Len, while you're while you're you're commenting here, you know the, the, they talk about starting at starting at forty. So, do you agree with OG? The best time to start is a little bit immediately, or should you at least get an emergency fund first or pay off debt first? Like, where do you come down on when to start your retirement plan? Yeah, I well, I think when you're really just starting out in early twenties, I think yes, you should get your emergency fund first. Um, I mean, you have so much time ahead of you. If it takes you that year to get that emergency fund up, it ain't going to kill you, you know. I also think, though, that being said, it pays to start as early as you can because, as I've said this before, the beauty of being young is you can make mistakes and you have so much time to recover. You know, when you start at 40, you start at 50, you have very little margin for error. So uh, you've got all that time. Take advantage of it. And that's your training wheels, really. You can make mistakes and not – I know it hurts if you make a mistake at at any age. But when you're in your 20s, it's so easy to recover. Yeah. In in hindsight, like some of the mistakes I made with $1,000, right, (laughs) made sure I didn't make those mistakes with $100,000 later on. Yeah. It, I mean, I remember when I was in my twenties and I'd, you know, and I'd lose a thousand dollars on an investment or 50. It was, it felt like the end of the world. Devastating. Yeah. Devastating. But trust me, I mean, you've got so much time and it's well worth the risk. Paul, I want to turn this on its head because the second half of our audience is on the exact opposite side. Like some people are, <laughs> most people are like, well, I, you know, I, I got so much to do before 40. I'll wait until I'm 40 to start. The other half is thinking about the other, the way I read this initially, which is that if you decide to retire before you're early, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's too early. And that's our fire audience, right? Like, what are you talking about? Retire at 35? Are you drunk? <laughs> is retire before 35? Is that too early to set your sights on retirement if you're 20? Well, I, I think it's perfectly fine. You, your goal can be whatever you want your goal to be. Um, and the, the beauty of a goal is that it motivates you to become the type of person that you need to be in order to achieve that thing. So oh, I love that. And, oh, thank you. 
Thank you. It's not an original thought. I read it somewhere, I'm well, sure. Well, no, and I was thinking of Michelangelo saying something to that. <laughs> to, to that. So I believe somebody has said something similar to that. But Michelangelo was talking about something w- w- which I do love in the spirit of what you're saying, Paula, which is how great is it to set your goal too high and then mm-hmm. achieve this greatness but miss the goal, right? Versus set your right. goal too low and easily make it. So you set your goal at 35 and okay, you didn't retire till 37. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Well, and more importantly, you develop the habits that would get you to that goal. So if you set the goal of retiring at 35, all right, great. In order to reach that goal, you develop all of these habits of um, efficient living, wise, moderated, well thought out version of frugality, um, investing, you know, exercising the investing muscle and learning how to take uh thoughtful risks. You know, those are all of the habits that you develop that you then put into practice for life. And if if that gets you to your goal, great. But I I think almost anyone who's achieved any major goal, whether that goal is something related to finance or fitness or career, I, I think most of us understand that the reaching the goal itself is not necessarily the point. It's um, developing the habits. It's the journey there. And then once you hit that milestone, cool, now it's time to set a new one. And you already have the character and the habits in place that will allow you to move towards that next one. I want to have you dive into something a little more that you said, which is you, you talked about having well thought out frugality. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you and I have talked about this, but I don't know if we've talked about it with microphones on. What does that mean versus just frugality? Anything in excess can be toxic. And so frugality, when taken to an extreme, can be um, detrimental to your life, to your health, to your relationships. So frugality, uh, it, it isn't that less is more, um, you know, i.e. spending less is always necessarily better. There are boundaries and limits to what is the wise middle ground versus what is too far over on the, you know, a disruptive end of the extreme. And oftentimes, if you are frugal to a disruptive end of the extreme, it points to some underlying emotional insecurity, some anxiety, some other underlying problem uh, besides the proximate problem that you would need to fix. And that's why we know that Len doesn't have a problem because he gets the lobster tail. So he's good. (laughs) Yes, I do. (laughs) Exactly. Len, well, I've got you. The third myth on their list is you need a lot of money to invest. And they say, well, that's wrong. What do you think the right amount is to have before you start trying to invest? Well, you can start with $10 if you want. I mean, you can buy one stock and and make it, you know, $10 a week. You don't need that much money at all. I I got my daughter who's... uh, She's just getting started and she, you know, she's uh, investing, oh, I don't know, maybe, maybe on average $100 a week, I'm, I'm guessing right now at her tender age with her new job. Um, but it, all it into plat- you don't need a lot. You all, don't need a lot. All into platinum coins? Actually, no, no, in the stocks. So she's got her own Schwab account. I've taught her how to do I mean, and she's And she enjoys it. And, and it's like a, she enjoys watching it go up and she notices sometimes when it goes down as well, but she's hooked. So, which is great. I love that idea of, of starting with 10 bucks. I think I, I'm, I'm with you. OG, do you agree with that? Just 10 bucks? Well, it's just like anything when you go to the gym or when you try to eat healthy, you know, it's unlikely that you can like cold Turkey quit everything. You know what I mean? You say, okay, yeah. I'm not going to eat bread. 
for a while and see how I feel. Right. You're like potatoes, rice. I'm going to do all that stuff. I think for me, it's like four hours, but yeah, exactly. You know, I just went to Chick-fil-A for every day for a month and just got the same salad and made it easy. Did you really just try to do things that are things that you can repeat over and over again. If it's 10 bucks a week, maybe I get 10 bucks a week. You know, you're just building that muscle. I like to do that. OG. Did you do that? Absolutely. I like Market to they still have, grilled chicken. Do they still have no, the peach? Do they still have the peach milkshakes there? That's what I was going to say. If I was going I to Chick Fil A every day, I would be on the I would be on the peach shake diet. <laughs> Me too. Well, although I did day. see the last time they have a they have a holiday peppermint one, I was like, oh my goodness. And then the uh, the person who was helping us said, well, I like to mix mine with like chocolate and Oreos, and it tastes like peppermint ice cream with Oreos in it. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's a bridge too far. Yeah, and and, and then Did you, you th- notice I ordered the market salad with chicken. <laughs> Stop it! Uh, uh, number four on our list of myths is risk is risky. It's only savings, Paula. How would you counter that one? That risk is risky. Oh, I mean, risk is risky by definition. The uh, question is, what type of risk are you willing to take on, and what level of risk? Um, you know, risk is not one dimensional, nor is it linear. So there isn't just one amorphous boogeyman out there called risk. There are different forms of risk. There's leverage risk there, you know, if you're borrowing money, there's the type of risk that we often conflate with volatility, meaning that an asset will, um, you know, go, go up and down over time. It'll have a bit of a roller coaster. There's risk associated with uh, career risk, starting a business, right? There, there's all of these different forms of risk. Uh, I mean, okay, and, and 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 the way that that applies to your investing decisions, right? How you're going to modulate the risk in your investments as compared to other types of risk slash stability in other venues of your life, right? So there are all of these different types of risk. And so to say risk is risky, yes, it is, but that's so simplistic that it doesn't cover the the different styles, forms, dimensions of um, you know, the varieties of risk. Paulette hanging out with us live here on Fireside has uh, emojis of minds blowing. And <laughs> P- P- Paula, you just keep bringing them. What the heck's up with you today? What's going on? Did, well, did you have why, your, thank you. Did, did you eat your Wheaties this morning? Like what's, what's <laughs> what the heck is going on? I'm just, I'm so excited about my upcoming trip to Texarkana. That's yes. Um, that's exa- yeah, exactly. It's good just, answer. It's, <laughs> all the adrenaline just keeping me going. I don't know how you sleep at night. Seriously. I mean, <laughs> wide awake. I was wide awake for weeks before I moved here. So Len, it's, it's funny when you were talking about risk on one end of inflation, right? If you put your money in a guaranteed account, uh, you've got this risk that your money's going to lose money in terms of purchasing power. Paul is talking about volatility risk, talking about all these other types of risk. It sounds like there's really no way, based on what you said combined with what she said, there's no way to completely avoid risk. No, the best thing you can do, and, and what we do in engineering, of course, is that's one of our main things that we do is we evaluate risk. And what you have to do when you're looking at Every choice you're going to make financially, you've got to assess that risk. You do that by looking at the consequences versus the probability of something occurring, right? So you put that on a graph and you map those, and then you can evaluate how much risk you truly want to take. If something has a low probability of occurring, but uh, but it could be totally catastrophic if it does happen, you know, maybe you're okay with that just because there's a low probability of something going wrong. Where on the other hand, uh, something might have a high probability of occurring, 
but a very low consequence, it's probably worth taking a, that risk, you know, maybe because of the, the, uh, the consequence is low. It could happen, but if it does happen, it's not going to hurt you too much. So you just have to kind of look at risk and evaluate each individual decision on its own merit. I love that though. Plan for all the different risks that might attack you and just think about the consequences ahead of time and go in knowing what they are. That's yep. Yeah. I really like that. Sticking with you, the last one on this list, uh, you don't need emergency liquidity and man, this is my least favorite discussion. And we have it over and over and there are these people who just, no, you don't need it. No, you don't. And some of the, some people I know and I respect a lot, but holy cow, I, I just want to very quickly take the pulse of the three you and we'll let this one go. Uh, Len, do you think you need an emergency fund? Yes. Paula, do you think we need an emergency <laughs> fund? Yes. OG, do we need an emergency fund? Can I say no just to I know. Spark <laughs> Joe pretty much scared the crap out of all of you to say yes. Like, <laughs> just say no, OG. No, I don't think you do. I mean, it's not think so. crypto. <laughs> I mean, so overrated. Sorry. credit card accessibility. I've got so much money I could charge tomorrow on credit cards <laughs> if I needed it. Use OPM. It is great. Doug, do you need an emergency fund? Yeah, I got like 75 cents in my pocket yeah, right now. There it is. And by the way, it's interesting. And OG and I had this overwhelming discussion a few weeks ago. And OG was like, really? You're going to, what was it that you said, OG, that I'm going to draw the line here? Like, this is what we're passionate about. die on that hill. Yeah, we're going to die on that hill, which is, you know, when I, when I was a, a professional financial planner, we used the term cash reserve. And then I noticed that the blogging community used the term emergency fund. I thought, well, they're the same thing, so I'm going to switch over. But then when I think of cash reserve, I think about it as, as an opportunity fund fund, right? And you hear people go, well, um, you know, there were these great tickets to uh, Cartagena on um, Southwest Airlines last week. And I know some people go, well, that's my emergency fund. I wouldn't spend it on that. Well, no, it's your cash reserve. It's your money. If the stock market goes down, it's your opportunity fund. Is there a, is there a difference between a cash reserve and emergency fund? Paul, are you willing to die on that hill? <laughs> I mean, I've always used cash reserve as a phrase for the money that I keep in reserve for my business or my businesses. And emergency fund as uh, a phrase that references money that's only set aside for emergencies. But if and there then, were if there were cheap tickets or the market went down a bajillion points mm-hmm. and you were going to buy low, would you raid your emergency fund for that cash? No. So then, what I was going to say is, there's a third category outside of emergency fund and cash reserve. Third category that's just savings. Wow. So, I've made my savings. So you said money in a savings, and that's you don't think of that as a cash reserve? No, no. I, I think of cash reserve slash emergency fund as the business slash personal um, specific bucket set aside for emergencies. Yeah. And then and then beyond that, there's savings. Sometimes I also refer to that as a, just a cash cushion, like money that's just kind of hanging out in my bank account beyond what I need. I think that's a whole different, uh, I, th- I think it's going to take us a whole episode to figure out wh- where Paula's going with all this. <laughs> <laughs> Paula has like six different piles of cash sitting around somewhere. Right. So right. if you're looking for a little bit of liquidity, go find Paula. Right. She's coming to Texarkana to bury money in somebody else's backyard. <laughs> in fact, right. Doug, are you ready to see who's winning our, our trivia? Yeah, who is winning our trivia? I can't remember. Well, here is the deal. We have a year-long trivia contest going on between our three contributors. And uh, Paula Pant, I have some good news and some bad news. 
Mm-hmm. The, let's start with the good news. <laughs> the good news is you got time. Oh, you should have this memorized by now. <laughs> <laughs> the good news is you have time still, Paula, but it's the bad news is it's running out <laughs> because the score, Paula has 12 and OG pulled back into a tie with Len or Len pulled back into a tie with OG. I don't know, but they've been duking it out there at 15, 15 and Paula has 12. So who's going to, get one closer to the big victory. We, we, we got to write to the guy at the beginning of the year that said he was going to make a cake. Remember that guy? <laughs> That's kind of the cake has to be our has to be our trophy. I feel bad that I don't remember his name because it was very nice of him to say, you know what? We need a cake or something and I'll, 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 I'll pitch in with the cake. So I can't guarantee how great the cake will be because I don't know him, but at least there will be cake. So at the very well, least. You'd happily eat the cake sent to you from a stranger? I would happily. <laughs> That's a good. Why are you going to be so logical? It's cake. What could go wrong? All right, Doug, ready to ready to see who's going to win this week's trivia contest. Let's do it. Hey there, stackers. I'm the most notable backside only denim model in the industry. Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. You know, it's Calvin Klein's birthday, and according to businessoffashion.com, the site I go to whenever I'm deciding where it's fashionable to invest, he founded his company in 1968 with just $10,000. Less than a decade later, his annual revenues had increased to $30 million. He also had some of the most famous ads in the world, launching models like Kate Moss and Eva Mendez. What gets between you and your Calvins? Nothing, according to the ad campaign, but when I'm sneaking into a movie, it's a three-pack of Pop Rocks, a Slim Jim, and a Capri Sun. Is that what, are you trying to say that's a Slim Jim in your Calvin Klein's? <laughs> well, okay. Why did you have to go there? <laughs> Sorry. So just just wondered. Let's, let's, get, let's get back to the trivia. Let's not focus on the summer sausage. <laughs> when Klein sold the company in 2002 in a deal that included about $30 million in stock, Yes, it's more like a summer sausage, as well as licensing rights and royalties that were estimated between 200 and 300 million. But here's the trivia question. How much cash did Klein get as part of the sale? I'll be back with the answer right after I asked Joe's mom, do these jeans make my ass look big? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what comes around goes around. And uh, Paula... You get to guess last, and uh, Len, because you're the returning champion, you, sir, have the honor of kicking this thing off. How much cash did Klein get as part of the sale of his company? Oh, my gosh. I'm wondering if this is another one of those trick questions. Um, My goodness. I, you know what? I have no freaking clue. What, 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 can you tell what, what were all the other numbers you threw out again? Like he got X stock, and he... He had he had uh, thirty million in stock, yeah, and licensing rights and royalties estimated between two and three hundred million. Oh wow! You were focused on the slim but, jim, but what you want to know is how much cash did he receive? I want to know how much cash. You know, there were components of the whole I deal. Think, I think I this gave is you a two trick. of them. This is another one of those tricky, tricky questions. So, but I don't want to get. Uh, I can't get too extreme because, well, I'm going to be, I'm going to be Chelsea Brennan anyway. So I'm going to say $1 million. 
One million dollars. Mr. OG. Do we know who he sold his company to? <laughs> we don't have that information in the question. Uh, okay. Uh, so he got three million <laughs> stuff. What are we laughing at? I'm, I'm, I'm laughing at Paulette hanging out with us, who is, who, who is, who is our writer who said, okay, this is clearly the worst trivia question in the history of questions. <laughs> no, it's pretty much like how they all are. So actually Paulette I think the popcorn, is, Paulette, the popcorn in the building, the popcorn in the golden, in the, uh, what was that? The, uh, yes, I think the writing was spot on. I think you're good. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say it was, I'm going to say it was a much different number. I'm just going to go the other, uh, the other level. Um, you know, thirty million a stock to to what company? I don't know to whom he sold Calvin Klein. Uh, that would be important to know, because um, then I could give a sense of what the stock might be worth. Well, didn't he say the stock was thirty million dollars? Thirty million. Yes, that's how much he got in stock. stock. He got thirty million in stock. Oh, yeah, and then he got thirty million in stock, and he got licensing and royalty rights that were between two and three hundred million. Those were two components of the deal. Another component would be a cash component. So, how much was that? Yeah, Tommy. I feel like I'm I'm picturing him as Tommy Hilfiger, and that's a or Ralph Lauren. He is just like Tommy Hilfiger, except his name is Calvin Klein. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to go the other side. I, th- I think this was a big number in cash. So, um, that's, that's, that's what I would want if I sold my business. My friends would call me cash money. So I'm going to say, uh, 650 million. Wow. He cash. went exactly the opposite way. <laughs> other side. Good luck, Paula. <laughs> wow. Good job, OG. Now that's how you play the game. <laughs> All right. Between the two, I do think that it was a bigger number, but I don't think it was necessarily that big. So I'm going to go with 649,999,000. That's such <laughs> And 99 cents. <laughs> so wait a minute. So you, how come you did that and not 1.1 million? Why wouldn't you go half the halfway? Enough. But, but, She's made her choice. But, She's like, made a dollar her more choice. than halfway. Dummy. <laughs> then you get like oh, all then, the downside too. Then, dummy. And then capture. Are we going into the dummy boat. range now? <laughs> Paula was on fire until that choice right there. Mm. That's what I think when OG starts calling people dummy. You know what that translates to in trivia world? I'm about to get f- <laughs> I think it translates to fine guess, Miss Pant. I think that's what he's really saying right there. But uh, your gamesmanship, yeah. But we—it's no, 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 it's valid. There, there, there are second. definitely some tactical tactical improvements that could be made to Chelsea Brennan strategy. Yes, know, to the Chelsea Brennan technique. Well, we'd love to tell you who the winner is here, but we don't play that way. We'll be right back. Well, you know what I think about Navy Federal? I think about the veterans that have done so much for our country. And I also think about some of our active service members. want to say a special shout out to uh, my nephews, Colin and Nathan, who are both in the Navy. Colin is stationed outside Seattle, Washington on a submarine. And my nephew, Nathan, is in South Africa as an air traffic controller. And in Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants you also to celebrate members, many of whom go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools 
to empower their members and help them reach their goals. It's all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their family are eligible for Navy Federal membership. They offer 24-7 help from their U.S.-based member service. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. All right. Uh, we are back. And Len, you kicked it off with $1 million and clearly OG and Paula had different thoughts. <laughs> hey, I, I th- you can chalk this one up as a win for me. What if it's no cash, Len? <laughs> that's what That's what I really thought the answer was. I thought the answer was zero. Could be that's a no what cash I truly, deal. I thought it was another one of those trick questions, but I didn't want to just give that do that. And OG, your cash money, if it's $100 billion... Yeah, it has to be the complete other way. Exactly. Above six hundred and fifty yeah. million. Paul, are you yeah. feeling confident on this one? Of course, you chose the middle last time and totally missed out on that. Yeah, you know, but I, th- I think capturing the middle. I mean, I'm responding to the price anchoring that's in front of me, and we'll see how it goes. <laughs> All right, we are going to see how it goes. Doug, you ready with the answer? Here we go. Stackers, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and good news, my ass looks huge in these jeans. <laughs> yes, it's real, and it is spectacular. Speaking of jeans, Calvin Klein was the reigning fashion icon in the 80s with worldwide retail sales estimated at more than $600 million and a distribution network of 12,000 stores in the United States alone. His annual income even passed $12 million. However, things went south in the 90s and Klein faced possible bankruptcy. But through his highly popular underwear and fragrance lines, both of which I'm wearing right now, he has once again been able to stack the Benjamins. So by the time he sold, how much cash did he get for the business? Well, in addition to the stock and licensing rights, our answer is... And this pains me to no end to reward the ineptness of the guests. A whopping $400 million in cash, which means Paula is our winner. No yes. Woohoo! <laughs> it's just not right. Finally. Finally. I wanted to lie so badly on that answer and say that it was a $10 billion deal. <laughs> this is a no cash deal. Congratulations, Paula. I'll take it. I'll take it. As soon as you said this pains me to no end, I was like, he's about to say zero. He's about to say zero. (laughs) That's what I thought. I thought he was, I thought I won. (laughs) Uh, Paula, you're back in the game. I'm back in the game. Yes. I know. I'm, I'm closing the ranks. I'm, uh, you know, 11th hour making it happen. (laughs) I know everybody hanging out with us live on first. I can't wait till next Monday for the next edition to see if Paula has follow through here. Speaking what are we of, have four more. Do we have four more trivia's this year. We have four more. We have four left. Four or five? Yeah, maybe? four. Because the, the the Black Friday episode we won't have a roundtable. Mm. We do our board Ooh. game episode then, so we're down to four left. Yeah, Paul, and Paul is behind by three. So oh, Ooh. this could be fantabulous. Well, two to tie, right? Two to tie. But yeah, to your to point, yeah. to your point, somebody's going to win the other one. So she really needs to take three and have the other guy split the other two. Mm-hmm. And I just added up to five. <laughs> well done. 
Good thing Joe's that's a, not. That's great. Yes. So we're going to move into the second half, which is where we'd love to hear myths. Maybe you didn't hear your myth. Maybe there's a myth out there that you are thinking about that you'd uh, like to talk about, something that drives you crazy that uh, that people shouldn't think. Let's mix it up with our crew here and the the crew contributors. If you've got other myths that you're thinking of, it's time time for us to talk about those. So here we go. Second of our discussion on financial myths. This half of the discussion brought to you by Magnify Money. Doug, you know what happens when you go to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money? Your wood floors get a fine luster? Uh, absolutely not, actually. But the, wouldn't that be a great perk of going there? If you head to stackybenjamins.com slash magnify money, you'll find that that savings or checking account that you have at your brick and mortar bank, probably not best in class. They rate over 92% of the financial products found at banks, whether they're online or at brick and mortar banks against each other, head to stackybenjamins.com slash magnify money. And Paula, every time I say forward slash now, I always think of you. I'm like, how old am I? But at least I didn't I, say www dot. So exactly. Yeah, we're exactly. good there. I'm in that that middle middle range part. By the way, on that note, we were also on our recent vacation. We stopped in at a at a board game cafe because that's what most people do on their vacation, right? And uh, we we were playing this this game that was uh, it was like boomers against younger people. And so we had Nick, Nick had to answer questions that older people would get. And we had to answer questions, Cheryl and I, that younger people would get. And, uh, and the problem is, is that I, I work in an industry where most people are younger than me. So we were mopping the floors. I felt, I felt pretty proud of myself, Paula. I was like, Hey, I can compete. But uh, what's, what's an example of a type of question that you would have gotten? You know, I don't even, I knew you were going to ask that and I'm blanking, but, but let me tell you, I was pretty kick-ass at it. Just, yeah, I, be- I just, believe you. Just saying. Yeah, I can't. I can't think of one. I don't remember if it was an older person question or a younger person question. But which one came first, the Backstreet Boys or New Edition? Well, I've never heard of New Edition. Oh. New Edition. Well, there you go. Uh, so, I, but but I think that might be the older person one, and that might that might be that might be why right there. That's not what we're that, doing. You know, that might that might be a bridge between the two generations, actually. <laughs> That's well, and a lot of the questions were too. But anyway, we are way off track. We want to get back to financial myths. Uh, OG, you see people that come in with some preconceived ideas about their money or things that they have to think about. What's one myth you wish that uh, people didn't bandy about? That there's such a thing as good debt. Oh, so what do you mean by that? I think a lot of people are just kind of sucked into the concept that borrowing money is a great idea or, you know, well, with interest rates is low. I mean, how can you not, you know, that sort of thing. And it's like, it's true. It works with leverage and leverage is very sexy and it's seductive and you can show up to buy a house with like a little bit of money and you get this cool house with all of this uh, neat stuff in it and you only had to come out of pocket a little bit of money to make that happen. But, but you have years and years and years of a commitment there, you know, uh, thereafter. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a really, it's like death by a thousand paper cuts type of thing. And so, <laughs> right. so we, we lull ourselves into thinking that, that there's such a thing, mortgage debt or, school loans, you know, I'm furthering my career or something, but, um, but all debt sucks. And if we just come from it at that perspective, 
then I think we have a different attitude toward it and, and say, you know, we should work really hard to pay this off. Lend the, in the conjunction of your overall plan. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and then when you do use leverage, you've got a healthy respect for it too, I would think. Oh, I personally do not have a healthy respect for leverage, but <laughs> yeah. I can imagine what it would be like if I did. What you probably, what you probably should do. Well, Len, you know, it's funny as OG's talking, I'm thinking of uh, a myth that I had, which was one that the related to his, that's the mortgage industries of, you know, renting is throwing money away, right? Do you think it's also the mortgage and lending industry as well that are behind good debt versus bad debt? Like, no, 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 this is good debt. You're, you're fine. It's good debt. <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe that's true. I mean, that's one thing that it, one of the universal things now is, well, at least it always used to be, is, you know, buying a home's a great idea. And, and that's not necessarily true anymore, right? especially as prices keep going up. So, uh, you know, uh, they could be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, going to go to Paula last cause she's been on fire this show. So Len, what is, what, which means Paula, the bar's going to be high. We're waiting for like the mind blowing myth that, that you're thinking about, but Mr. Penzo, not to be outdone. What's uh what's a myth that you wish people didn't have with their money? Um, well, I'd stick with the realm of mortgages and I would say paying off the mortgage, you know, people will say that paying off the mortgage is, is an ideal thing to do. And, and I am of the, that's how I used to be. I mean, I used to think that, and I don't think that anymore. I, I think now you have to be careful about whether you are going to pay off, you should pay off the mortgage early or not. So basically the exact opposite of what I said. Yeah, actually, <laughs> yes. I, I mean, I'm totally, I'm one of those, there is such a good thing as good debt, uh, but uh, I'm, I guess I'm the opposite. When you said that, OG, I was like, oh, okay, well. But yeah, I don't yeah, know, I though. Do you- no, no, no. I think I, I think that it's just the phrase, right? Debt can be used successfully. I mean, you see companies do it all the time, right? You know, but they're headed by a board of directors and, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And my frustration is that people just like, just fire hose it in the face. You know, it's good debt, bleh, you know, and here it comes. <laughs> and, 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 and you're like, no, dude, it's, you know, it's not. Well, like, my, it doesn't. Well, well, my example, a great example for me of good debt is like if you want to start a business. I mean, if starting a business and you don't have the money, you got to start somewhere, right? And so if you have a good business idea with a business, with a good business plan, um, where you, you got to get the debt to, you got to get, you got to borrow the money to start, to get started. So, I mean, if not, what are you going to do? Wait 10 years to try and save up to start your business? You know, so to me, that's, that's a case of, yes, it makes sense to, to go into debt. But does that but does does that make it good debt or just uh, more prudent debt because you have a cash flow stream that you're waiting on that will pay down the debt? Okay, I mean, yeah. are we well, semantics I mean, here? Yeah, I think we're well. If, it's a hundred percent semantics. If the term, yeah. yeah, good. I mean, if you're going to, of course, all debt debt is crap, right? I mean, nobody wants is. to be in debt, right? There but yeah, maybe good debt. Good is a poor choice of words. <laughs> But it gets well, the point the across. It's just, it's just it a gets, phrase. It's like what we were talking about earlier about using the word cash reserve or emergency fund or savings versus investing. You know, when we kind of put it in our heads, like, you know, oh, well, this is good debt. It's like, no, 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 just call it debt. It's debt. You don't have to like give it an adjective to describe it. You can just call it debt. And if you call it by what it is, now you can decide how it fits in the whole you know, in the whole uh, plan. But if you, if you put a little stank on it and, and it sounds like, oh, well that that's, I can't, I, I shouldn't pay off my house early. That's good. 
Look, the, the, well, the danger, the danger though, not. the danger though, is if you do it that way, then people, I mean, somebody might take it to an extreme and say, well, I'll, I'm not going to go into debt. I want to start a business, but debt, you know, I'm just not going to go into debt. Whereas, you know, you have to distinguish between going into debt to buy a, I don't know, a car that you don't need an extra car or something. Len, hold versus- Yeah. Len, hold on a second. We got Lily here who I think may uh, agree with your argument. Lily. Hi, thanks for having me up. So my question as you guys are talking about this, right, isn't this dependent on interest rates? Because for instance, you could pay off a car and we've had record amount of auto loans, right? But instead there are some people that could pay for that car, but because it's you know, 0%, 2.5%, whatever, and they're earning more in the stock market or through other investments, it makes sense to, you know, go into a position like that where you're technically in debt because you're using your money to make more. Except I would, and I agree with you, if you're saying, you know, should I have the money invested or should I have it, you know, uh, uh, versus the car loan or something like that, except I would say that the vast majority of people who use that logic don't actually have the money sitting in the bank account or in the investment account. Yeah. That's where the liquidity comes in, right? If you have the liquidity to back yourself up, if, if you lose your job down the road, then that's okay. I mean, cause I do that too, Lily, our last car we bought, we could have paid for it in cash up front, but we took the 0% twice financing. over even yeah. the money you so. have. But we had the liquidity. If something would have happened, we could have paid for that car in, at any time. Paula, is this, a, is this about the interest rate? Yeah. Well, it's it's real, tangentially related to the interest rate, but perhaps the where this is going is that debt is either cash flow positive or cash flow negative. And so in the example of the car, if you do have sufficient investments that you, you're arbitraging the interest rate that you're paying on that vehicle, then that debt in a sense is cash flow positive because the money that is in that investment brokerage account is generating returns that are in excess of the interest that you're paying on the vehicle. And so when you compare the two line by line, it is an arbitraged and therefore cash flow positive form of debt. There's something interesting here too, which is uh, we recently talked to Wes Moss on the show, Atlanta radio personality. And Wes just wrote a book, a research book about what the happiest retirees know. And he said that the happiest retirees, when they did this research, they knew the math. They knew the math that Lily's talking about, but the people that paid off their debt generally, and I don't remember the methodology about how they looked at this, but, but they were happier. People that knew the math but still paid off their debt earlier were generally happier. What do you think about that? Well, certainly there's the financial question and then there's the emotional satisfaction question. And I think from the point of view of emotional satisfaction, of psychological comfort, there's a lot of benefit to paying off debt. And this relates back to a comment that I made earlier when it comes to deciding what level of risk you want to take on and how that fits with other risk factors in your life outside of just your investments. So if you have the risk of not having any current income coming in because you're retired, you know, therefore you have income risk, i.e. your income is fixed or low due to retirement, then yeah, you offset that by taking on less investment risk. And 
um, on balance, all of that allows you to sleep more easily. It's like free, yeah, freedom from worry. Uh, yeah. Lily, before we say goodbye to you, uh, are you a creator here on Fireside? Yes, I'm a new creator. So I'm, I'm hopping into runes to, yeah. to feel it out. So yeah. Thanks for having me. N- no, and I wanted to ask you for our audience too, what are you creating? So maybe our audience can follow you in the future. Well, I am thinking around different investing ideas, trying to, you know, be ahead of what we're seeing play out like on a Bloomberg terminal or on CNBC and kind of just thinking around the issues. Yeah. And it's interesting how the numbers that you talked about, you know, that versus the behavior too, I think is fascinating. Yeah, definitely. Behavioral finance is really interesting and there's just so many ways you can think about things, you know, whether you're going through a specific investment for like arbitrage, some people get very attached to names, there's narratives, there's a difference between loving a company and loving a stock, right? Right, Those are different things. So, right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, getting too emotionally way to, involved. Way to go, Joe. You just invited the fox right into the hen house. She's going to steal our whole audience. <laughs> she, yes. Great job. Both listeners are now going to Lily. Yeah. <laughs> Lily, thanks for hanging out with us. That was a lot of fun. Uh, Paula, enough, uh, enough procrastinating. <laughs> well, I feel like in terms of the myths that we've already discussed, I mean, we've covered the good ones, right? We've We've covered the... Is there such a thing as good debt? We've covered the the myth of um, you're supposed to own a house no matter who you are and no matter where you live. We've covered the myth of uh, you're necessarily always supposed to pay off your mortgage. So I, I think the good ones have been taken. Oh, no, I think there's so, another one. I think that's a cop out. I, I No, but I, I will go with, um, and this is maybe a slightly more obscure one, but the myth that you need to prioritize building a credit score, building and maintaining a credit score um, above many of your other financial goals. I say that because I've talked to many people, particularly younger people, who believe that they really need a credit score or that that's like one of their top concerns, even though they have no imminent plans to buy a home. And and true, they're, they're going to need one to rent an apartment. They're going to need one to possibly get lower car insurance rates, sure, you know, buy a cell phone. But when I hear people who have a lot of credit card debt and a lot of student loans and they're living paycheck to paycheck, and yet the thing that they're worried about is their credit score rather than their net worth or the balance in their bank account, my response is, look, you're focusing on the wrong number. The score that you want to be keeping track of is your net worth or your bank balance, not your credit score. That's the distant third place. That's a fantastic one. And OG, I, I think about that, about how people focus on what Paul is talking about instead of getting just a solid financial footing. I feel like if you could start off with just a solid financial foundation, like the credit score comes with it. Well, yeah. I mean, a credit score is just a reflection of what you've done in the past. So if you do the right stuff in the past, your credit score will be fine. It's when you start doing dumb things in the past then, uh, then your credit score is screwed. So don't do dumb stuff. <laughs> I think that's hashtag, a- <laughs> hashtag, hashtag, don't do dumb stuff. TM. That's, that's a great place to end it. Isn't that what you're trying to say, Paula? Don't do dumb stuff. Uh, to an extent, but also don't waste your time or spin your wheels trying to game the credit system taking out new credit cards so that you can increase your debt utilization ratio, blah, blah, blah. I mean, fine. If you're already like smooth sailing everywhere else and now you've got 
excess time and you want some icing on the cake, sure, you can play that hack. But if you have a a net worth that's in the toilet, then you've got bigger problems to think about. AKA don't do dumb stuff. (laughs) Don't do dumb stuff. (laughs) All right. I think that's going to do it. Uh, Let's find out what's happening where all of you live and work. Uh, OG, big plans this weekend? (sighs) Yes. Just lots of lots of travel. Busy, busy, busy. As per usual in the OG life. Mm-hmm. Uh Mr. Penzo, what's going on at lenpenzo.com? You know, this is funny because just uh I have five personal finance tenants that aren't as smart as they used to be. Oh that is on lenpenzo.com and you can come and see uh which which ones I picked. And did you just make so one an of those? OG uh, might want to come over and learn something too. <laughs> You're going the same place. I was good. That was good. Paula Pant, what's happening at the Afford Anything podcast? Uh, I was going to say, um, to, to Len's comment, I also have five tenants who aren't as smart smart as they used to be. <laughs> not not doing as well as they used to do? <laughs> no, no, no. They're, they're all great. So on the Afford Anything podcast, of course, Joe, you join me every other week to answer questions that come in from the community. We have um, so much fun. So much fun. That's that's always a highlight. We also, he was on this show, Robin uh, Wigglesworth, who wrote the book Trillions. Oh, so good. Um, it uh, Honestly, I learned about him on this show, Recording the Roundtable, and he <laughs> sounded so great. I invited him onto my show. <laughs> but he's a great interview, isn't he? He is. He is. And I talked to him for an hour and he describes the invention of the index fund, the, all of the drama around Jack Bogle. So it's a, it's a history lesson. It is mind blowing. It's not what you think it is. It didn't happen the way people think. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's the first time I've ever done like a a history episode on the afford anything podcast. Normally we're, you know, either conceptual and philosophical or we're actionable, but Paula, our, our cease and desist letter is in the mail. (laughs) <laughs> you can serve it to me over a steak at the sizzler that's, right. that's why paul is really coming to texarkana paul i have a present for you would you get here right well i know you and i have interviewed people in the past and you always ask such different questions than we do that i've heard from all of our joint listeners that it's a good one two punch so if you really like robin rigglesworth i'm sure paula and robin had a much different conversation than robin and i had and man yeah. what a what a what an interesting guy to talk to so good Absolutely. stuff and that's it afford anything where finer podcasts are distributed Exactly. All right. That's going to do it for today. Uh, Doug, you got it from here, my friend. What should we have learned today? Working with amateurs. So what should we have learned today? First, denim is a very lucrative career if you're willing to exploit sexiness to sell it, a tactic we here in the basement have never stooped to due to the fact that we're all out of sexiness, except on Fridays when Len visits. Second, OG said something really important, but as usual, he used lots of big words, so I'll give you the TLDR. The best time to plant a tree was yesterday. The second best time is today. Don't keep putting off your investing until you think you have enough money. Start small and start now. But the big lesson, if you like big butts and you cannot lie, you got to look at these jeans. I mean, even Becky thinks I seriously, seriously got back. Thanks to Paula for joining us today. You'll find her podcast, Afford Anything, wherever you're listening to us today. Thanks also to Len Penzo for joining us. As soon as you're done here, go check out lenpenzo.com forward slash mortgage payoff calculator. 
today's show was written by the brilliant Paulette Perhatch. Paulette, we told you to stop writing that. I know, it's next year. Uh, Doug actually has a flat... Come on, Paulette, I don't have a flat butt. Jeez, Joe, we need another new writer. Anyway, while she's not putting words in my mouth, she helps writers power their work and businesses power their words. See how she can help you at thatwriterpaulette.com. Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. What happens in the after show stays in the after show. And what a fun topic that was. And uh, what a great time I had the last hour, guys. But And Paulette, we were talking about earlier, putting words in, in Doug's mouth. And some brilliant words, by the way, Paulette. But we also sometimes have stuck our foot in our mouth. And I was wondering about doing the opposite, where... You say something that is just so, 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 so bad that you just want to, uh, well, you want to, you know, you want to take it back, right? And I'll, and I'll give you one. I was at a Detroit Pistons game. Uh, this has been, Grant Hill was playing for the Pistons and he had these brand new shoes called Fila Hills. And I was very lucky. I knew a guy who called me and he had second row seats, those seats that are in the folding chairs right along the court. And I sat there and we started drinking beers. I hadn't seen this guy uh, for a while, but Grant Hill comes out with these brand new Fila's that he had and, and the shoes just look awful. They just look absolutely, they're, they're these white shoes and I thought they looked awful, but they were white shoes. They're just a blue stripe up the middle and they looked, I don't know, they look like socks with a little blue stripe. You can, you can probably Google them now and you'll see what I'm talking about, but Uh, so at the beginning of the game, after I have a couple of beers in me, I said, you know, I think those are kind of ugly shoes. And in the second quarter and at halftime, when they come up to warm up again, I'm like, man, those are uh, some ugly ass shoes. Those shoes are horrible. And then Grant Hill inbounds a pass right in front of me at the end of the third quarter. And by now, by now I'm glad I'm not driving home. And I said, uh, yeah, okay. I've decided really loud voice, not really thinking. Yeah, okay, I've decided those are some ugly-ass shoes, but I don't know. And I joked to my buddy, I said, you think he gets paid to wear them? And the dude in front of me turns around and his face is bright red and he goes, hell yeah, he gets paid to wear them. And if you write me, I'll tell you how much. And he sticks this card in my face and he's the Fila rep. And I have been bad-mouthing the shoes the entire game. Not my finest hour. Classic Joe. Yes. Paul, you've never stuck your foot in your mouth. Oh, oh, I have plenty of times. But, you know, in that instance, if, if I were the Fila rep, um, I've got to say that was it was rude of him to make you feel bad about it. He could have just not turned around, kept his mouth shut, you know, That's not given you a bad research. experience. That's what I was saying. I was saying right? this isn't my problem that I'm drunk and talking out of <laughs> without a filter. It's his problem. 
<laughs> I, you know, I'm with Polly. It would have been really, it would have been cooler if he'd have, you know, said, give me your address. And then he could have sent you a pair, your, your very own pair, Joe. He could what have. Size do you wear? Fila Rep, if you're, cool. if you're listening, Fila Rep, I'll still take them. Joe at com. if he wants to apologize to me. Len, L- Len, you've got to have one. No, I, I don't. That I can think <laughs> of off the top of my head. Not off the top of my Paula head. Paula just I, deflected, so she might not have one. Yeah, I mean, I know that I've I've done it. I, I've certainly said the wrong thing a million times, but there's nothing specific that's coming to mind. Oh, gee? <laughs> and no. Doug! <laughs> I'm just well, trying to listen, think. Listen, I've uh, said, you know, I've, I've, I don't know. I can't think of anything in particular. I just think that... Undoubtedly, I say and do things that uh, sometimes, sometimes I wish I wouldn't, you know. But uh, but but I'm not the guy who, you know. Anyways, I almost got kicked out of my kids' football game last week. Oh, but whatever. Get you're the, the angry dad. I, well, kind of. I mean, just uh, happen to know a little bit about football and. Um, you know, there's a couple of plays that went on that, that were a little, you know, suspect. And, and the, the, we were the visitors, the home side was uh, pretty sure that they had it right. In fact, the, the home coach was uh, so sure that he decided that it would be appropriate for him to let everybody know that he was right by standing in the middle of the field and yelling at the officials. And, um, and so I thought that it would be a good idea to remind him where the coaching box was. So, cause it was clear he was late. Um, and as a parent, I was concerned that he was setting a bad example. So I decided to set a better example by yelling at him from across <laughs> the field to get his, you know what, back into the coaching box. And then he yelled at me and then I yelled at him. Did he really yell it, up into the stands? Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. Which, which is kind of funny in and of itself because yes. so then the, the, so then the AD came over. He's like, hey, you got to go. We don't allow that. And I'm like, all right, cool. And then everybody else said, no, he's staying. You your coach needs thicker skin. <laughs> what? Really? Yeah. Like everybody around us, the oh. uh, coaches on our sidelines. Well, yeah. When like, you start yelling at fans in the stand. Prob- yeah. Probably. Well, in the stand, you know, the stands are, you know, that's, that's the safe place. Yeah, right. You can, right. if you're in the end zone or you're like, you know, the trainer, or the chain guy, or you're the picture person, you start mouthing off. Yeah. You get booted out of the, like inside the fence. Absolutely. You can get kicked out of there. But if you're in the stands, man, you can short of throwing golf balls at coaches, which, <laughs> some places do that these days short of doing that like you know i think it's i don't know you ever been to a baseball game and like the coach does something or the manager does something stupid and you're like what you yell that was a terrible why would you put change pictures you idiot you know could the, you imagine the you mlb imagine, yeah could you imagine this the security guy going hey uh so Sparky Anderson really didn't like that comment. <laughs> right. So you gotta go. Like, what the hell? Right. Right. Dusty Dusty Baker is uh, upset at yeah, you. He's, he's gotta he's really gotta leave. He's really put off by the fact that yeah. uh, anyway, hey, so. hey, OG, I got a question for you. You know, in football, you mentioned the chains, right? And it always amazes me. I mean, you guys when you're out there, you guys are eyeballing placement of the ball, right? You're out in the field, you, the one of the linemen or some line refs that you eyeball the, the placement and you put it on the ground and then you come and you, you haul out the chains and you're trying to get precise with the chains, but you've eyeballed the, the original placement of the ball in the first place. So isn't it kind of all just theater? It's like a Kabuki theater, isn't it? When you're running the chains out there. 
Here we go. Well, I just think it's kind of stupid. I mean, you kind of oh, they eyeball they eyeball where the ball goes, and they just place it on the ground. Okay, yeah, they eyeball it. It's down right here. Okay, now let's bring the chains out and get down to the to the link. You know, to get to get the exact whether it's a first down or not. Right? It's all there's all kinds of errors in the whole process. What would be your solution? <laughs> you don't, no. There's no solution, really. It's oh, just okay. like you guys fake it and just say, yeah, it's a first down. You light him up. Personal. I know. <laughs> and I think we're done. No, I tell you what, Joe, I have said things on this episode that I regret, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that, that really became meta, came full circle. I say we're not. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently we're not done yet. We're not done yet. (laughs) No, no, no. Uh, This has been something that keeps me up at night for years. But back in a previous career, I, uh, I went with a team of people to the Mercury Marine headquarters in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, and did a whole tour of their corporate offices and we're evaluating, we're setting up for a consulting uh, engagement and we're you know, evaluating their operations, front office, back office, production facility, the whole thing. We're there for hours and hours and hours. And there were about four or five people from Mercury who were walking us around. And at the end, one of the women said, hey, let's go. When we're done here, there's a great bar I know locally. Um, let's everybody go get a drink. So we spent hours with each other, gotten to know each other. And, you know, I kind of relaxed maybe a little bit too much. And so end of the day, we pull into the parking lot of this bar and it's like out in the woods on this lake. Of course, you know, we're in Wisconsin and it's just like this log sided bar with a big line and Kugel sign flashing. And it's like Gustafson's or something like that. And I get out of the car and I'm like, Oh man, this is perfect for Wisconsin. It's, you know, some backwoods gritty, you know, fishing joint. That's just, Oh my, you know, I just, and, and this, and I'm trying to give this great compliment, like how authentic this is. And we walk and she just kind of turns and looks at me and like nods her head a little bit with just this blank look on her face. And we walk in the bar and she walks around behind the bar and gives her husband a big hug. It's her bar. <laughs> she owns the bar. I just got done totally backhand complimenting it. It's her freaking bar. Except, except, she, except she missed the compliment part. Yeah. Yeah. That part went right past her. Yeah. That's only the story I'm comfortable sharing. There, there are a lot of others. <laughs> well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is military appreciation month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This military appreciation month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate, and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.